This is exactly right. My favorite, favorite murder, murder, the quarantines the episodes, qu- the so far away and yet so close episode. Yeah, we're doing it. We're on Skype. I'm looking at Karen in her in your second bedroom. That's right. Okay. We're pointing at each other over Skype. Stephen is watching us <laughs> silently <laughs> from a distance. Stephen was helping me set this up earlier, and I was I tried to set it up on my phone. It's so hard. It's a so hard. Props to Steven. Four years running. Yeah. Just the, yeah. the uncomplaining sound guy that's actually holding so much shit down <laughs> that we don't, that we're only now beginning to understand, Steven. We love you deep, uh-huh. deeply. Thank you. Um, thank you for keeping us always between 18 and 12. We appreciate yep. it. And, but the Skype, for some reason, the way I was doing it was taking pictures of my face ra- at random times. And I'm not, you know, I'm <laughs> not camera ready that? right now in any That's way. That's rude. It was. That's just rude. I, I my face is sliding off my skull, and Skype <laughs> wants me to know it. So anyway, how are you doing in this in this fucking just, global pandemic age of enlightenment? I guess I'm focusing on superficial things to distract myself. Like, so yeah. I've definitely been putting a lot of under eye cream on, um, uh-huh. lots of phone calls, lots of joking around, but I did have to, on my sister's behalf today, text my dad and say, Hey dad, for real, stop going to Costco. He's like, still, oh, does he just keep going? He just keeps telling my sister, like, that's what he's going to do. Like, he just keeps telling my sister of errands he's going to run and <sighs> she's going insane. And it's, and I finally had, cause she's, of course, he always hears it from her. So he doesn't pay attention to what she says, which yeah. I can relate to. But sure. I finally just texted him and was like, listen, you're driving Laura crazy and you're scaring both of us. You don't need frozen <laughs> chicken cutlets. Go home. No. Stop it. Like, what are you doing? And then he didn't, what was funny is, then the dots came up and then they went away and he didn't say anything <laughs> else. Like, so. I'm going to tell her what. You know what? I should save this for yeah. after my first bud. Yeah. I'm, I might call him tonight just to go, hey, you mad at me? Because that's what he does when I'm <laughs> mad at him. It's like you're not a, in my family. You're not allowed to be mad at each other because they'll just give you shit until you talk to them again. Yeah. So I might just do it back to him. But it's a kind of thing where like, look. This is we're in uncharted territory. There's no leadership. We all have to kind yeah. of do what doctors say and we have to do what the people on the front line say. And there is yeah, no we just take it seriously. Yeah, there's no reason not to be doing exactly what they say. There's who is saying this? I, I'm sorry because I'm taking in so much content about this stuff. But somebody was saying you're you're being asked to stay in your own house where there's yeah. food and everything you like. You're not being asked to move to some government facility. You're not being asked very much. So fucking do to it. Fight a war or anything? No, yeah. you're not, this is not a sacrifice. You're being asked to stay inside where you usually are. Just fucking and do it. And that's the best thing you can do for this. That's like the number one top priority is to stay. I, you know who? You know who is a fucking who? Not surprisingly, is being a leader at this time. Cardi, Cardi, Cardi B. Cardi, Cardi B. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Party fucking B. Of course with the she live is. Instagrams. Yeah. 
The weird. I love her. She's a survivor. Well, also, that's right. I retweeted a thing. There's like an amazing guy who's an amazing piano player. There's a guy that plays the piano along. So when Cardi B does her speech about coronavirus, coronavirus, yes. and it's almost oh, like yeah, she's singing, she's kind of preaching. But there's a guy that, yeah, I sent it to you. He plays the <laughs> piano amazing. along with her perfectly as if it's, it's, it's she is singing, it, she's performing the libretto in an operetta. It is yeah. the most amazing thing. And then when it ends her the video of her disappears and he turns to camera and then it just says wash your hands <laughs> it's the most <laughs> genius video oh you know what? another thing too if there's people who don't believe you you got to send them matthew mcconaughey's video from instagram of him fucking just completely talking you through what you need to do matthew mcconaughey style and oh. it's just it's golden <laughs> it's you know there are people that I think the the thing I keep trying to remind myself is this this is such a scary situation that some people when they get scared their reaction needs to be fuck you you can't tell me what to do it's the, it's like right. cuz you're you're basically pinning both their arms and saying you have yeah. to stay in and you can't know what's going to happen next and you can't there's nothing you can do so you can't just do what you want and and that triggers people and pushes their buttons and shit and makes them cray cray and there's yeah there's a yeah. lot of people who can't deal and so right. as as infuriating as it is when we see people going to like in you know last week going to the beach in Florida or whatever well there's mm-hmm. already there's like a there's a handful of spring breakers who have who have it like it's it's this is <laughs> there's nothing not real about this. It's, yeah, it's happening sure. all around us. There's a, a a a child died in Los Angeles today. The youngest coronavirus victim so far in America died in Los Angeles. So it's oh like God, I don't know I what know more that. Yeah. If you're one of those kind of people that needs to say it's a hoax because you're so scared you're freaking out, you know, <laughs> Uh, then you need to look at do that. it from the comfort. <laughs> do it. Do it from the comfort of your own home. Yeah, for real. Please. Do it behind some sneeze guard because what you're doing is just giving it to everybody else, whether you right. believe in People it or who not. Are going to die from it. The virus believes in itself. It doesn't need you to believe in it. It's those fucking twenty-two year olds that are like, I, I'm not sick, and if I'm sick, I'll get over it. It's like not about you, twenty-two year old, right? And it's but it's also the the the. 55 year olds that that have this very strange kind of like I decide what reality is thing that is also a fantasy. I mean, there's lots of us that live in fantasy. Hey, look, uh, listen, (laughs) we we all have to adjust. People are going to do it at different times. Speaking of adjusting, can I tell you what I've been watching? Sure. What Vince and I have been binge watching. To keep ourselves occupied. For your adjustment? Uh, we started, yeah, we started True Detective season one again. Nice. Which I, was I highly recommend. Just thinking of that. I forgot everything, apparently, that had happened. Yeah. Apparently, I was very high <laughs> the first time I watched it. Isn't it I don't so remember good? any of it. It's so good. And then I'm watching Detroiters, which is a really funny, uh, great show. Tim Robinson. Oh, my God, they're incredible. And Sam, Sam, oh, it's Sam Richardson. Very ah, close. Tim Sam Robinson, Richardson. Sam Richardson. The funniest. I love that show. Hilarious. It's insane. It's so good. Have you seen Tiger King? Oh, Tiger King. We have to talk about. Yeah. So we started watching it. We were a little like, oh, this guy kind of sucks and stopped. And now people can't talk. stop talking about it. So I think we need to go back to it. The, I did the same thing only. The reason I turned it was 
probably four days ago and people keep on tweeting me about it of like, you have to, I must know. And I turned it on and it was just like, it wasn't a good time where after the third person spoke to camera, I was like, I can't. I cannot spend time with these people. Like, I can't do this right now. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. They're like, I want to hear the story, but these people are really bumming me out about how horrible they are to tigers. It's well, just like, <laughs> how am I supposed to hang out? All of it. Yeah, exactly. I need things that are a little less impactful at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what have I been watching? Yeah, it's I, of course, I'm just going deep into like Acorn TV and BritBox or whatever, where it's like some truly like a British procedural from the 90s uh, that I can barely yeah. understand what anyone's saying. That's the only thing that's really <laughs> giving me any kind of peace of mind right now. Comforting. But, you know, here's what I think is a beautiful, maybe not a coincidence. Brene Brown's podcast finally came out, Unlocking yeah. Us. Um, Hell yeah. And uh, I haven't listened to it yet because I'm in the middle of a book on tape, but I'm so excited because I feel like her voice, her everything about the trailer for that podcast, like she's such a presence. Yeah. Calming, uh, scientific, yet self-helpy kind of mind is like I would probably not be wrong to highly recommend a podcast I've never listened to before just because it's our friend Brene Brown. Are you doing phone um, therapy sessions? I just did one this morning. Oh, I did for the first time. It was fine. I my obsession now is first of all, I had to talk about being a workaholic, which really bothered me because I was like, I didn't really have anything else to talk about because I've just been in my house. And then I was like, here, can I can I say this? My my therapist that I've been having phone calls with said to me when I was like, I don't know what to talk about the first day. She was like, you know, in these times when um, there's like a singular focus instead of the day to day life to talk about, that's when you can actually get really deep into some shit because you're not being distracted by like, I'm mad at this person and I have to do this work and I'm stressed. It's like, you can now go deeper. Yes. That's basically right? what happened where I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, I guess it's okay. And, you know, I like chaos and all the shit that I normally say <laughs> or whatever. And then uh-huh. it like kind of tumbled out of my mouth where I was just like, yeah, it's, it's a problem because if I'm a workaholic, then I can't really at this. I, I can't do anything, nor can anyone else that has yeah. that uses work to distract themselves from the difficulty and big feelings of life. And I was just like, sorry, I'm going to have to hold on that one for a second and really, yeah. really sit in Come it. Come back to me. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. Or like the whole thing where like you use work as a way, as a barometer to how um, good you are, what a good person you are because you get work done and because you're so busy and like the busier you are, the more important you are. And that's the only way you can tell if you're important or not. Yeah. That shit. I'm, I'm not a workaholic. I don't know how... <laughs> You and I <laughs> paired up. We we are, but, you know, where we paired up at the opposite party. And that's oh, how that's we do right. it. And that's where the magic happens. Back to back. Exactly. That's right. We got back to back. We got back to back. <laughs> I, I, You know, what's funny, though. It's like I almost said to my therapist, I, it's like that thing where I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, it was great to talk to her and I'm going to do it again tomorrow. But there's this part of me that's kind of it's almost like I get the feeling of like, don't go in there. Because I think mm. we are all so... It's almost like we're waiting to find out what we're scared about or something. You know what I mean? We're waiting for the first big wave to hit or something like that. And I think the important thing in it in a time like this, because she said this to me, she said it before, but she reminded me this morning 
it feels like we're in a free fall, but the uh-huh. key the key is remembering that there's no bottom to hit. We're never going to hit ground. So yes, we're free falling, and the, okay. the whole trick of life is to become comfortable with the free fall, understanding it's always like that. You're never wow. even when we have these kind of pretend things of like, well, if I get my work done here, then I'm good here, and blah blah blah. Like that's all fake yeah. too. It's all fake. So well, it's almost like you, I can understand though not wanting to like have an open wound when you're about to go through some fucking other traumatic shit that has nothing to do with that wound of course it's like that like i don't want to get yeah deep into my childhood and fucking sad and depressed over it when i can't then go have a drink with my girlfriend and fucking talk to her about it right right but i can still call her on the phone so yeah that's good well, and I had also, a really good long conversation the other day. We had a fun. great, we had a great, you know, it's funny. I, when we got <laughs> off that call, I was like, we were laughing so fucking hard during that call. And I'm like, we never do that to each other because that's never. what we do for a living. We never save do it, that. Save it for the podcast. We always yeah. save it for the podcast. Then you texted me, hey, want to chat? And I was like, I was scraping my mind, like, what could she want to talk about? And then I'm like, I think she just wants to talk. <laughs> <laughs> because all we've been having is like stressful conversations about our entire fucking business yes and it's really fucking stressful so i was sure. like let's just t- like before we have to record this podcast let's have a nice conversation <laughs> yes you know? exactly like oh a fire remind truck us just why we're friends Ooh, Ooh, so sorry is another house on fire <laughs> i don't know i think they just went to check stuff Oh God! <laughs> I just pointed at a fire truck like a child as it went by the front of my house. <laughs> oh, fire truck! Oh, look a fire truck! Oh. Um, and sorry, okay. right Should as you we... were trying to say something nice about us being friends, <laughs> just well, that's why we're friends. <laughs> no, that's it. There you go. <laughs> no, it was great though, and it also was just funny because, as opposite as we are, we all, there's almost some things I don't have to talk to you about because I know we feel the exact same way about them. Yeah. And those are, yeah. I think it's good for us to remind each other of how alike we are because we always mm-hmm. just are noticing the differences because we have to do something about it. But the ways right. we are like are very comforting to me. Oh, that's so nice. I, it is like we're sisters at this point. It for is. Sure. It's true. You know what I was thinking about about like when this was all going down and who am I going to call and this and that it's like you know who the best friends like the best friends in your life are the one who you have in your phone their sister's phone number or their mom's phone like a just in case you can get a hold of their oh, a yeah. relative of theirs yeah those are like the best friends you have I think like yeah. I could text your sister immediately or your dad and be like yeah get in your room oh he would love it if you texted him I love those or called him like adult fr- Adult friendships where you have a connection like that. Um, let's do really quickly because everyone in Exactly Right is doing cool shit right now. Yes, they despite are. The panic. This network that everyone's is feeling. This network. Well, people are using it and actually podcasting yeah. cool stuff. I'm so proud. <laughs> so, um, Murder Squad, uh, Billy and Paul are discussing domestic abuse resources to support people who are in quarantine with their abusers right now, which is so fucking incredible. Yeah, that's amazing. That. that episode dropped yeah. yesterday. I'm sorry, that episode dropped Monday, um, uh-huh. the 23rd. So that's up now. So uh, yeah. yeah, go listen to that. And then they also cover how first responders might respond to a call when someone is in imminent danger, despite the fact there's a fucking pandemic going on, because people are still going. Going through some shit 
yeah. whether or not this is happening. So they cover that. And I just it's important. Yeah, there's those are, there are. Yeah, they're thinking about elements of this that are not that are really important. And I think not that often discussed. And I think, yeah, it's very cool yeah. that those guys did that. It hit me really hard when I saw some meme that was like, you know, there's so many people and children who escape who use their day to day jobs and school to, you know, to get away from their abusers that don't have that resource now. And so here's some phone numbers. And it, I felt so privileged and like, um, what's the word? Lucky, but also like, oh, I hadn't even considered that that was an issue for people. I'm so lucky that I don't have to. Almost like real bliss, people who yeah, are blissfully ignorant of stuff. Ignorant. Like that. Yeah. Very ignorant. Yeah. But so it, I'm glad they're covering it. It's kind of good, too, because then it just it gives a kind of needed perspective. If you're really freaking out, like how bad things are for you. Yeah. When you hear about stuff like that or think about it or just look into what other people might need. I think it also helps that. um, It helps. Yeah. Call everyone. You don't know who, what people are going through right now. Yeah. Um, this podcast will kill you. These amazing women released a six part bonus series with updates on COVID-19. They did a special six part fucking episode about this. They interview, um, experts and cover topics from the origin of the virus to ways of maintaining your mental health during a self quarantine. So that's coming out starting Monday, March 23rd. Yeah. So and I think they awesome. said all six this Monday, all six episodes are available. Um, so they're, they? okay, yeah, cool. I believe they're, they release them all at once. I don't know, Stephen, if you know, if I'm right about that, but I believe that's the case because there's basically, so you can basically binge all of them and get all your info at one time. That's correct. Yeah. It's all, so you can get your binge on and listen to all six. Stephen, please okay. don't say get your binge on. It's a <laughs> pandemic. There's no need. There's no need to go to such a dark. Place. Erase one of those. Erase one of those points we gave him on the whiteboard for everything he's done. Yeah, really. <laughs> Just because you keep us between eighteen and twelve all our lives doesn't mean you can say get your binge on. It's crazy. Speaking of which, the Percast, um, Sarah and yeah. Stephen, this week, um, which dropped yesterday, um, they of of course are um, recording from home talking about um, the pandemic, how the quarantine's affecting them and their cats and their relationships. Um, it's a very Important. special, a very special, the Percast this week, yes. right, Stephen? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Fall Line is still doing, is now doing part two of Carolina Girls. Um, it's It concludes the story on the North Carolina, Brittany Locklear, who was kidnapped and murdered in 1998. And it, dis- it discusses the disappearance of another girl um, whose case at one point tied to Henry Lee Lucas, that yeah. fucking liar. So that's coming yeah. out on Wednesday, yesterday. So listen to that. Yeah, the fall line is such an amazing show. Those guys just uh, they're just so they're important. the real deal. It's I'm so impressed totally. by them. And I'm also impressed by Do You Need a Ride? Uh these two young <laughs> upstarts in comedy. <laughs> um, me and Chris Fresh Driver Faces. <laughs> fresh faces. We're, we're fresh faces for um Aspen. We got the Aspen Fresh Faces showcase. Mm. Um mm-hmm. that's a comedy festival that has hasn't existed in 22 years. Um, we made <laughs> timely, Steve, timely, right, right at the right the height of the true uh, worry and uh, um, fear weekend of the new pandemic. I made Stephen get into the car with me and Chris, and we drove around for I think three hours and just recorded. I can't believe you guys did that. Two back to back Q and A episodes, and the funny thing was so. You know, everyone knows it's, of course, you can't drive in Los Angeles ever. It's, Mm-mm. it's so awful. 
the traffic is terrible. If you listen to Do You Need a Ride, I complain about it constantly as if it's interesting. <laughs> we are... We are sailing around the streets. Yep. There's no one out. We'd go anywhere we want. It's also very strange and there's not very many people out. And then we find uh, this just, you know, spoiler alert. We find a drive through Starbucks that's open, which I think is Amazing. a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. That I love it. I want so to listen to that. More. And it was pouring rain, too, that yes. day, right? It was pouring rain. I mean, it's going to be great. Everyone was scared. It was, yeah, it was pretty crazy. And and also, this round of Q&A questions, in the beginning, it was like, would you rather be one huge hot dog or three small hot dogs or whatever, where you're like, okay, I, I don't know the answer <laughs> <Wow>. to this. <laughs> That's an amazing question. No, I just made that up. <laughs> oh, but, I love it. <laughs> but... I mean, that's just a fun party version. But this time people got kind of into they they got they they asked some very interesting questions. Sorry, that's cool. all I'm trying to say. Existential, existential driving. Yes. And then, of course, the um, Exactly Right's newest podcast, I Said No Gifts with Bridger Weiniger is out now. We're so fucking excited about it. And the third episode comes out this week today, Thursday, March 26th. Yes. Um, with the the guest this week is Andy Richter, which is incredible. Woo! This is such a good podcast. If you guys have been following along, thank you so much. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps um, the podcast out when you do that and when you comment and give them and five review. stars. Yeah. And That's... review. It's, it really helps on the charts, which is awesome. Yeah. And it really is such a delightful. Um, yeah. I think these days, I, I know personally, I'm definitely turning to podcasts more and more just yeah. like puttering around the house as I'm getting really into cleaning, which is surprising to me. Um, <laughs> but uh, it just really like listening to other people talk is so such nice kind of pseudo socializing. I think it does all the same yeah. things to your brain that regular socializing does. So if you want a Comforting. good, hilarious chat show um, yeah. hosted by very intelligent and very uh, like fun to listen to people, Bridger Weiniger's I Said No Gifts is the podcast for you. And it's positive. So if you're feeling down and you just need to like tune the fuck out and yeah. listen to something positive, this is a really great way. It was all it was all recorded before this happened too. So you're not even gonna Yeah, he was he was recording it. this months ago. Um but yeah. it's about gifts. It's who doesn't want to think about presents and why you give gifts and what you get like, and what the worst yeah. and best have been. It's, come on. I love what you did for your housewarming party where you just don't say gifts are unnecessary. You just don't even mention them on the invite. <laughs> And then people bring them. I did. Brilliant. I, I swear to you. And you, you didn't do that. Oh, you told me you did it on purpose. You didn't. You I did joking. not. No, no, no. Okay. I, I did not. I was joking to you because you were like, oh, you didn't, you didn't put no gifts. And then I was like, of course I didn't. But I actually, I not, <laughs> not only did I not you think out, about I it, I didn't think about it. <laughs> well, you, you seem to be like delighted by it. So it didn't seem like an insult, <laughs> but I didn't think about it. And I wouldn't. I don't think I would you bring would, yeah. someone a gift. I'd be like, no, if you just bought your own house, get your own goddamn yeah. gift. Like go you to hell. Can't so, afford your own fucking candle. You shouldn't have bought a fucking house. Yeah. You should be saving for candle money. Don't invest <laughs> in real estate. Not now. 
not now. <laughs> okay, so not this, this is moment. I am kind of excited to talk about this because this is one of those things. So we get um we uh, get given gifts when we go on tour all the time and people will hand us stuff in the in the line um in the meet and greet line and they'll say they'll tell us a little story, hand us something. We'll say thank you. We put it in a pile, we ship it back to the office and then sometimes 3 months later we go through the box and then we're like, "Ooh, remember right. this?" and whatever. And so we have yeah. a bookshelf at the office that has all the books we've been given or, you know, there's just different stuff all around. So this book ended up on my nightstand um, that I started reading, I would say two weeks ago. And it's called um, The Forest City Killer by Vanessa Brown. And it is Ooh. it is about um, in London, Ontario, Canada. Um, Canada. In the 60s, there was a serial killer and nobody put it together that there was a serial killer in this tiny town. And this Vanessa Brown, the mm. author, gave it to us herself. This this yeah. one is to me. I'm sure there's one to you. Um, and I read the whole book. It's really fascinating. It's really heartbreaking. Um, you know, of course, it goes into like how the families deal with it. And it's, you know, the victims are teenage yeah. girls. And in the end, I read every page because it was that good. And I still, you know, by the end, it's not satisfying because it's very realistic. And, you know, it's just as much about her doing the research and trying to get this, the truth out as anything else. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end, I'm reading, I'm just kind of scanning the acknowledgements page. And at the very bottom, <gasps> yeah, it says it's of, you know, it's listing people. And then it says Karen yeah. and Georgia, who have no idea how important they are to the rest of us. <gasps> We got it. We're right oh in the God. middle. We got it almost I'm at the end. I'm sweating. I hope right it's before not her, her parents. And then, oh my God. And then she says, uh, <laughs> and the last thing says, and to my partner, the only person who really matters, Jason Dixon. And then it says SSDGM, VB. Amazing. It, I was like, the book is great. Vanessa. Highly recommend. But then, <laughs> what world do we live in? We're, we're kind of in the I book don't, too. <laughs> I was, can I say I was just... I'm listening to a book right now and I put it on and everyone's been listening to it and saying how great it is. It's called, um, hold on, let me make sure. It's called The Sundown Motel by Simone St. James. And it's like, you know, this woman goes missing in the seventies and her, you know, her niece goes to find out what happened. It's like one of those like true crime fiction books. And in the beginning, it's like, you know, the thank yous and I'm listening on Audible. So it's that. And it, yeah. and it says, and to all the murderinos. Mm. And I was just like, what the fuck is my life? Yeah. This is insane. It's amazing. That's oh, just God. like okay. the same thing happened in Maureen Johnson's book. Yeah. That she yeah, <laughs> she dedicated amazing. it to all the murderinos. I know. It's very cool. So good. Thanks for Thank being you. here. Read books. Thanks for books being here. Important. Books are now becoming a big part of what I do. It's how I put myself to bed at night because I know I'll just fall asleep on the couch oh. watching TV. So I'm mine like, is, I, mine's White Castle. <laughs> oh, no, wait, sorry. Mine's White Claw. Mine's White Claw. <laughs> both are good answers. I, both are acceptable answers. What about, uh, White Castle. what about three White Castle burgers and then a whole, and then you slam a White Claw and then you tell the truth. Oh, my God. And you tell everybody what you really think about their outfit. I haven't been outside in about three days. <laughs> Vincent, I need to go for a walk. Yeah. I keep this watching people good. walk by my house and I'm like, yeah, that, that looks like <laughs> that looks like a great idea. But I'm not I don't do it. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into, whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve. The key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines. And June's Journey has that and more. 
June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea, because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional, and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter promo code space 80 goodbye who's first steven uh you are georgia all right (laughs) georgia's sitting guys just so you know i'm looking at georgia on skype and she's (laughs) sitting in her in her closet with clothes like around her shoulders like you have long hair of material (laughs) (laughs) i'm surrounded by vintage i bet it's very comforting it is. It is. And actually, I've been this whole time been absolutely touching my um my late grandmother's bathrobe. Oh, that like means so much to me. Oh, yeah. And it's and it's nice. What's it that material? It's silk. And it's like an old kind of old timey bathrobe. Yeah. And it's, oh, nice. I just love it. Just hold it to okay, your cheek. Oh, not- sorry. Before you start. Nick Terry, yeah. Nick Terry did an um, MFM animation of the cocaine, yep. cocaine hogs. Um, yep. It's so great. I, it's on everywhere. <laughs> but I didn't realize this. And I finally saw it in his link. Nick Terry has a Patreon um, that we should all join. Um, yeah. So go to patreon.com slash forward slash MFM underscore animated. And you can join cool. Nick Terry's Patreon and make it so that he can just do that for 
a living. That'd be cool. And he makes he makes merch from that stuff too. That's really cool. I've definitely seen some rad t-shirts and stuff. So yes, my friend Patty Riley. My friend Patty Riley has his shirt with all the characters, all the Nick Terry characters across the front, and she told me she's been stopped a couple times by murderinos who are like, (gasps) "Oh my god!" Because it's such it's such a good shirt. It's yeah, the new one is excellent. It's it's necessary watching <laughs> for whom, whomever. For okay, who, how am I going to fucking do this? I have. Can I you have, see? Okay. I no, yeah, I can see. The lights okay. Okay. Uh, I just don't have enough hands. So let's do it this way. Let's start with this one. Fuck it. It's the global pandemic. I'm doing the mysterious death of Natalie Wood. Oh shit, girl. <laughs> I went there. You did. I thought you were going to say like the Black Plague or something. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is a fuck it. One of us eventually has to do it story. Yes. it's That's so true. Wow. Yes. Are you let ready me, for this? Let me tip back in my chair. Yeah. And the problem with this one is like you could do it six different ways. Like there's six different ways to do it and options and thoughts and stories to read about it. Yeah. It's complicated. So I'm doing kind of the, you know, not bare bones, but the some basics right because there's just a lot of theory right because there's no no one really knows the truth exactly yeah yeah all right so i got a bunch of information from a vanity fair article by sam kashner another vanity fair article by suzanne finstad um and an all that's interesting article by marco margaritoff a biography article by tim ott wikipedia there's a 48 hours episode about it called death in dark water uh, Did you watch that? No, yeah. but I will after this. And then there's a New York Times article by Catherine Rossman. I mean, there is just a million articles you could read about this and videos, too. <sighs> Natalie Wood is born on July 28th, 1938. Her real name was Natalia Zaharinky. Did you know that? Natalia no. was her real name because she was born from Russian immigrant parents. Oh, wow. Um, and her mom pushes her into acting. Oh, they were born in San Francisco. They're from San Francisco. Yeah. So her mom pushed... Yeah, girl. Uh, at the age of four, her mom pushes her into acting and she appears in a couple of films. By the time she's seven, studio executives at RKO Pictures, they change her name to Natalie Wood because they want it to sound mm. more American. Sure. Um, at eight, at, yeah, at eight years old, she gets cast in the role of Susan Walker, the girl who doesn't believe in Santa Claus in everyone's favorite Christmas movie, uh, Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah. She's the little girl. Like, she's, that's a huge fucking role. It's a huge role. And she is so great and watchable and charming and real. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I really love the that everyone right now is putting up Christmas trees and Christmas lights and pretending it's Christmas. I think that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. I should get my old my white Christmas tree back out. Yeah. It took me so long. I, to I think it's a great idea. Take that thing apart though. God damn it. <laughs> you should have just left it up the whole time. <laughs> I know. Um after a series of smaller roles, Natalie would play ends up playing the uh, teen ingenue opposite James Dean, of course, in Rebel Without a Cause. We all remember that. Genius. Well, we don't remember it, but we we know about it. Hey, that's a great let's just bookmark some of these as a as a movie for your quarantine rebel without a cause was so ahead of its time that movie is is it's not like a 50s movie when you watch it you will not believe it's just incredible and james dean was it's like it's suddenly these teenagers and what's happening in reality which is these baby boomers um, their children are all wait no that's not right no. all these parents from the from World War II are having children who are rebelling and everyone wants something different now yeah and it's just kind of shocking it's a great movie it's incredible and it's a role that 
Yeah, it's a role that earns her Best Supporting Actress nomination at, at fucking 16 years old. Um, wow. Yeah. In her 20s, she's cast in the musical adaptation of West Side Story, another incredible movie, and the movie Gypsy. And by the time she's 25, she's one of the youngest people to have been nominated for three Oscars. She's one of the fucking biggest stars of her time. And the public had watched her grow up through the movies. So they're, of course, like, you know, emotionally attached to her and they're completely enamored by her. She has these big, huge, soulful, dark brown eyes. And she but also like this girl next door charm. So she's just, you know, she's Americana. Yeah. And everyone loves her. Yeah. In 1956, on her 18th birthday, the studio heads from 20th Century Fox set her up with 26-year-old Robert Wagner. He's known to his friends as RJ. That's his like that's what everyone calls him. And they the studio heads were thinking their relationship would get great publicity for Wagner's up and coming acting career. They always did. They set people up all the time. Yeah, that was the thing. And just another, I'm going to bookmark this for the quarantine watch. If you've never watched Heart to Heart and you ever wondered what the early 80s was like in Los <laughs> Angeles, I'm telling you, the show Heart to Heart, H-A-R-T to H-A-R-T, is some mm-hmm. cheesy, amazing, it's a rich husband and wife that solve crimes for reasons you cannot figure out. Like, they're constantly <laughs> embroiled in crime and murder, even though they're rich and they live in, like, Beverly Hills or something. And it's, yeah. but the background, the outfits, the hair, it's so good. It's it's on par with Columbus. And I think it's and, yeah. easier to get a hold of. Yeah. And Robert Wagner is the main character. We've been watching Columbo ever since you re- fucking reminded me. <laughs> and it's it's just as good as you. It's exactly what you said it is. It's, it's so, so beautiful. Good. It's some unbelievable. So, so they fall fucking like madly in love with each other in a way that I think only happened in the 50s, you know, <laughs> um, and with be- beautiful actors. Like, sure. of course, you fell madly in love with each other. Uh, they get married a year later, 1957, they, and they become Hollywood's like royal couple. Everyone's obsessed with them. The media scrutiny, of course, puts a strain on their marriage. And five after five years of, um, you know, a rocky, I'm sure, alcohol-fueled relationship, they divorce after rumors of an alleged affair between Natalie Wood and her co-star at the time, uh, Warren Beatty, and they were in Splendor in the Grass together, which is another oh. great movie to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's rumors of that and everyone. And so they divorce. But um, it's rumored that the real reason they split is that Natalie Wood actually walked in on Robert Wagner having an intimate moment with another man. Oh, that's the rumor. OK. And in a, in a lawsuit she files against him at the time, she charges him with mental cruelties. Oh, so. Suzanne Finstead wrote a 2001 biography about Natalie Wood, and she alleges that she was um, that Natalie and her sister confirmed Natalie Wood's sister, Lana, confirms this, that she was raped by a powerful actor when she was just 16 years old at the Chateau Marmont. (sighs) She had gone in to like interview with an an actor about a position and came out fucking just in tears and, you know, having, you know, having just been sexually (sighs) assaulted by and and they're they say who it is, who the rumored person is. I'm not going to fucking say it obviously but you can find it online you know it just to say sidebar you but it it is like 
the other day, the news report came out that Harvey Weinstein not only got sent, to, actually got sent to jail, which I think a lot of people in Los Angeles kind of can't believe. But yeah. then on top of that, now he has coronavirus because he's in jail. Um, and he really is this symbol. It, it, and hopefully it's like the, the end of, of not just an era, but a tradition in Hollywood yeah. where people with power, they just break other people because they can and no one does anything yeah. because no one else wants to get in their way. But uh, Lana, you know, Wood, the sister, says that uh, to a New York Times reporter that after the rape, their mother instructed Natalie to keep it a secret in order to protect her career, of course. And so yeah. her mother was kind of the stage mom who was like anything for your career, suck it up kind of a person. Yeah. Um, and also at 16 years old, while she was filming Rebel Without a Cause, she had an affair with the movie's 41 year old director, Nicholas Ray. So Shit. that's fucking bananas on its own right you know yeah yes um so during her first marriage to robert wagner natalie wood is insecure she, she's 18 she's suspicious of everyone she has terrible insomnia um and can't figure out why she's so unhappy she starts taking sleeping pills and then she finally starts going to a psychiatrist and spends every lunch hour for the next eight years talking with the psychiatrist she turns down roles so she can like be close to him and, and talk to him. It's wow. pretty amazing. Every lunch hour every day? Yeah, but you know, movie lunch hour. Oh, so yeah, it's yeah. probably 15 minutes and at three every three days. So after that, she has a brief relationship with Warren Beatty. He leaves her to, to date a coat check girl, is the rumor. Um. She and so Natalie attempts suicide by swallowing a bunch of pills. She goes to Cedar Sinai, um, and they save her in time. Her biographer writes that Natalie was always on the precipice of a crisis and her greatest fear. And she and there's there's a video of her saying this to interviewers her greatest fear is dark water and that she would drown in dark water it's her biggest fear after their divorce both natalie and rj robert wagner marry other people they have children they both move on with their lives for nine fucking years or like later days to each other Mm -hmm. um but wood and natalie wood ends up leaving her second husband in 1971 not long after the birth of her daughter natasha and within three months of her second divorce rj and natalie are back together and even more in love than ever apparently her sister lana does say when she was like what the fuck to natalie she was like you know something like um the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know or one of those along those lines yeah but it does seem like they were super fucking in love with each other and obsessed yeah so now Natalie's fear of water, as I said, it's been famously documented. As a child, her mom, Natalie's mom, takes her to a fortune teller, and the fortune teller's like, uh, "She'll be a great beauty, but she should also beware of dark water." No, so from then on, really? I know, dude. Yeah, fortune teller, <sighs> can you not scare a four-year-old, please, or whatever? But, uh, but also, where what fortune teller? Because she knew what she was talking about. So there's all these examples of her filming movies where they just get in the water and she's freaked out and it's, she's just she's terrified of it. OK, will you believe me for fuck's sake? Everyone, <laughs> yes. um, you all believe me. I don't have to give you details. OK. Um, despite her fear of water, Natalie Wood enjoys boating and sailing frequently. I think Catalina at the time, you know, that little island 22 miles away from us in yes. L.A. here is like where the fucking rich and famous go to like you know, yacht and to, hang out without to yacht and boat. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, hang out without being without the plebes bugging them. <laughs> um, 
she even remarries RJ on a yacht and they go on a cruise to Catalina for their second honeymoon. In 1975, a couple years later, they buy their own yacht. Uh, it's called the Challenger, but they rename it Splendor, even though it's considered bad luck to rename a boat, which I didn't know. I didn't either. Foreshadowing. All the rich people that listen are like, I knew. <laughs> yeah, because of your yachty yacht. Because oh. you and your yacht bullshit. You and your yacht with a helicopter pad on it and shit. Fuck off. Uh, <laughs> they, so they hire this dude to help them bring the boat from where they bought it, Florida, to California. And they end up hiring him to be their captain. He's this lean, hot, kind of hot dude, but there's no, you know, that he's just a friend of theirs and he becomes a really good friend of theirs. And, um, they like having him on board and they kind of, it's almost like, you know, their friend on board with them. So that's good. And his name is Dennis, uh, Davern. So by 1981, now 43-year-old Natalie Wood, her career is waning. Her parts are, of course, going to younger actresses. And meanwhile, you know, RJ is becoming that hot, grizzled, detective, cigarette-smoking-looking guy. And he's getting yeah. a bunch of television shows and of becomes course. a television star with his hit Heart to Heart that uh, Karen loves. Which I genuinely do love. But I have to say, again, that's that thing where Natalie Wood is easily one of the most beautiful Hollywood actresses there has ever been. And yes. her expiration date was, what are you saying? She's in her early, th- late 30s? She was, early, when she, yeah, 43. She's 43. Early 40s. So, so young. Yeah. I mean, and it, 43 is incredible. old. And then meanwhile, it's just like dudes get older and somehow the rules are, yeah, that's great. The more grizzled yeah. you are, the better it is. <laughs> it's so <laughs> fucked. Yeah, exactly. So Guys, everything is fair and nothing is wrong. Yeah, breaking news. Everyone Hollywood sucks. Com- it's unfair. You won't believe <laughs> it. It's really oh, superficial. Right. Um, anyway. And their marriage gets a little rocky and Natalie's worried that RJ's drinking too much. And, you know, he's getting famous and there's flirtations on set with the lead actress from Heart to Heart, um, whose name you Stephanie probably Powers. know. Thank you. And, uh, <laughs> thank you. Knew you'd know that. I knew the answer. So, I knew the answer. <laughs> Karen, good girl. Uh, where are your dogs and why aren't they barking? Oh, the they're way? locked way the fuck out of here because they would be barking. <laughs> Any If a person walked by, it would be all dogs. So I fed them and then gave them both bully sticks and shut through about three doors so they can't come in. <laughs> but it. I'll let them in at the end. Yes, of course. So her career's waning, but she does um, get a, a movie op- opposite Oscar winner Christopher Walken, who, God mm. damn it, he was a snack when he was young. Have you seen yeah, him? Oh, yeah. When he, oh, and my a dancer. God. A, a dancer ten. and a snack <laughs> and a half. Yeah, and a, just a cool guy, always. Yeah, cool guy. And her last picture is with him called Brainstorm. He had just filmed... Um, he had got an Oscar for Deer Hunter, which is another movie to put on your list. And oh, I would um, put that near down near the bottom, though. <laughs> Deer Hunter. Okay, it's not a good. Time I actually haven't you. seen it. I was like, I bet it's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's so heavy. Well, I mean, it's about it's about Vietnam veterans, so it's as about as right. heavy as a movie can okay. be. Take it off your list right now. <laughs> we'll wait, or just like we'll wait. De- yeah, wait till things yeah. stabilize a little bit more. Definitely. I really want to watch 12 Monkeys and Vince is like, why would you want to do that right now? 
Because oh, it's a great I, fucking movie. It's a I was great thinking movie. of this, sorry, while while you were kind of going through her movies. There's one that I've seen and it's not as well known, but I went through a very strong Steve McQueen phase. And there's a mm-hmm. movie called Love with the Proper Stranger. Love with mm-hmm. a proper stranger. Love with the yes. proper stranger. It's from 1963. Yes. And I said yes so confidently about. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> But if uh-huh. you, I would flip Deer Hunter in love with a proper stranger because the vibe of that movie is so lovely. And it's like two people that are like not uh, trying not to fall in love and then they have a one night mm. stand. It's really good. It's, it's and very they're such modern. good actors that it's believable and shit. Ugh. It almost seems like, like, I feel like if you're an actor and you're having a love scene with an, uh, you know, a, with someone else, you kind of have to have those vibes with them or it's going to be sure. a terrible scene, you know? Right. I think that's, so to, that's why it makes sense. Yeah. That's why actors are the way they are where they're kind of fake, but they actually kind of mean it because they're just like, yeah, life experience it all. And then it's yeah, all kind of like yeah. rock and roll. And yeah, that's, I'm like, sit in your fucking closet and hide from everything with a white claw. <laughs> that's, that's my acting skills in a nutshell. <laughs> I'm like, okay. fall in love with Steve McQueen. That'll solve it. <laughs> That'll do it. Definitely. Okay. So RJ visits the set of uh, Brainstorm and notices the chemistry between Natalie and Walken and is like, uh, he writes in his memoir that at the least they were having an emotional affair. Like there was a fucking connection between the two of them. Yeah. At least emotional. Yeah. But on Thanksgiving weekend, 1981, Natalie invites Christopher Walken to join her and RJ on the Splendor to go to Catalina, okay. which is like, that sounds like the most awkward fucking trip I've ever heard. Yeah. I wonder what that was about. Yeah. Christopher Walken should have said he had like hemorrhoids or something and like yeah. not gone. Yeah. He right? was like, oh, my old, my old tap bunions are getting me. I have to, <laughs> I've tap danced too much. I need to put my feet go. up. This yeah. Sorry. So the yacht's captain, Davern, the dude that they're friends with, immediately doesn't like walking as soon as he gets on the boat because he's there. Natalie Wood and him and Christopher Walken are openly flirting on the boat already. Okay. Okay. Um, So the group, the group of four, the four of them, Natalie Wood, Christopher Walken, Wagner and the captain, Davern, Davern. They leave around noon on Friday, um, and, and Davern says that he could tell Wagner was jealous of all the attention Wood was giving Walken, and it's a gray, cold uh, day. The sea is rough. This is foreshadowing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really good at it. So Christopher Walken gets seasick on the way over there. He's in his stateroom. He probably just was uncomfortable, if I'm guessing correctly. And the yacht gets to the harbor in Catalina. And um, there's no moorings available, which I'm guessing is just like the the on the, the dock on the beach where you can moor your boat. Is that right? I, th- I think it means like a parking space in the harbor. Is what right. I, so is like, my, that's my guess. Also, knowing nothing about yachts or boats. I think we're right. I think that it means you just like jump on and off when you want to go into town. But so there isn't one of those. So they have to like put their anchor down a little out of town, a little out of the dock, which means they have to take a dinghy if they want to go to land. So embarrassing. Right? Yeah. I mean, God. do they know who these people are? Day class A. That's what they're screaming in the dinghy as they have to row across. Do you know do who you I know am? Who we are. 
heart. It's me okay. from heart to heart. So it's it's a quarter of a mile off um, of Avalon, which is the like main small town in Catalina. And around 5 p.m. that evening, they all go into town. Um, Davern stays behind to make dinner. They have beers at the restaurant and then they go back on board. And um, essentially, RJ and Natalie start fighting on board that Friday night. Because RJ wants to move the boat because of the rough sea conditions, because they're so far out, you know, in the water. Natalie wants to spend the night. She wants to go on shore and stay at a fucking hotel because she's terrified of water. Yeah. And it's all choppy and shit. And he refuses, but he lets her leave with uh, the Captain Dennis. And they go spend the night at a hotel together, but nothing happens. It's like... It's very innocent, but yeah. she conf- she confides in this guy, Dennis, a lot. And one of the things she says that night is that she's thinking of divorcing him. Oh, um, yeah. And so uh, but the next morning she was like planning on taking a helicopter back or a, a boat back to town, like to Los Angeles. But the next morning she reconsiders and goes back to the boat and they smooth things over. So it's Saturday now. Okay. So in the afternoon that Saturday, they all go to uh, Isthmus Cove, which is an isolated spot on the northern end of the island. It's a really small community that caters to yachtsmen, which means rich people. (laughs) Natalie Wood and Christopher Walken go alone on the little dinghy to a restaurant and they're sitting there having drinks and everyone's saying they're laughing and having the best time when Robert Wagner shows up and uh, he gets pissed that they're having so much fun. He's really jealous of the two of them, allegedly. And they go to the only restaurant on the cove to have dinner. And some of the the restaurant staff and other diners there said that everyone was drinking. They were drinking very heavily and there was volatile behavior on Natalie Wood's part. It seems like she got really drunk and mad at Robert Wagner. It's apparent. uh, Supposedly, she throws some a glass at the wall at some point. And then like he has to hide her behind his coat, walking her out because she's stumbling so much. And of course, Mm -hmm. everyone knows who they are. They're fucking royalty. Yeah. Um, and when they, when they leave the restaurant, the restaurant's manager calls up the harbor master and he's like, yo, keep a fucking eye on these drunkies, please. <laughs> Cause that's how bad it is. Yeah. You know, it's okay. like, there's something going on here. So they go back, uh, to the Splendor at about 10 PM and they open another bottle of wine. And this is according to Dennis. And um, Natalie Wood and Christopher Walken, they're all hanging out in the stateroom and they're openly flirting and like acting like no one else is in the room. And so RJ grabs a bottle of wine and smashes it on the table in front of them and says to Christopher Walken, Jesus Christ, what are you trying to do? Fuck my wife? That's a fucking quote from Dennis that he says that. Okay. So after that, Christopher Walken... That's so crazy. Retreats to his room. And then um, Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner start fighting in their room. And Dennis uh, Deverne says that he stayed on the bridge and he can hear them fighting. And it's like one of the worst fights he's ever heard between them. He says that stuff was getting thrown around and everyone on the boat could hear it. And then um, he says the next thing he hears is the ropes being the ropes from the dinghy being tugged on and the dinghy being untied. And then it's silence. And then it's about 1130 p.m. And everyone's shit faced at this point, you know, they they drink so much alcohol. And then um, he's at 1130, a sweaty and tousled 
Robert Wagner comes back up to the bridge and tells uh, Dennis that Natalie is missing and the dinghy's gone. But acts casual about it and is like, she must have, we got in a fight, she must have wanted to go back to the land and took off on her own in this dinghy. But it's this woman who's afraid of water and didn't even know how to operate the dinghy. Yeah. So Dennis, of course, is like, why don't we turn the searchlight on and try to look for her? But RJ insists that they, like, not worry about her at the moment. They open a bottle of scotch. He refuses to call for help. And then more than an hour passes and it's 1.30 a.m. when they finally call for help. After two hours of her being missing. Um, and RJ asked the people to look around town first because he apparently thought she had gone back to land. And the Coast Guard is called at 3.30 a.m. and the search goes into high gear. So around 8 a.m. that morning on November 26th, someone spots something bobbing on top of the water about a mile off of uh, Blue Cavern Point, which is a couple miles from Ithmus Cove, so close by where the boat was. It's Natalie Wood's body floating face down. Um, the only thing she was wearing when she left the boat was a cotton nightgown, a red down jacket and blue wool socks. Mm. So no matter how she got on or, or uh, you know, in or out of the water, she's not wearing shoes, but she's wearing her jacket and socks. It doesn't seem like something someone would put on to just get in a dinghy and leave. Well, right? not a sober person, but right. You know, right. who knows? Who knows? Yeah. And so, but they find the the dinghy and its ignition key is switched to off. The gear shift is in neutral and the oars are up in a locked position, which I feel like that to me is the most telling thing because if someone were dry, were trying to get shore and they were drunk and shit, they wouldn't leave it in that position and like in a, you know, they wouldn't lock the oars and dive into the fucking water. Right. That just wouldn't happen. Right. I mean, if she didn't know how to work it anyway, because first of all, I thought a dinghy, I didn't realize a dinghy had a motor. I thought it was just the boat with the oars. So may, yeah. maybe like, I don't know. I don't know. But I it's, think it's a rich, rich person's dinghy. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, so it's like rich person's dinghy is the name of this episode. But it is yeah. that thing of when you're super drunk and you're in a fight with someone where you're like, I will storm yeah. off this boat where yeah. it's, if they're drunk enough to be fighting in public in a restaurant on a on Catalina yeah. Island, which is the smallest place on the planet, um, yeah. then clearly they're all of them were out of their normal thinking mode. So then it Definitely. is like, fuck you, I am going to leave and go back or, you know, whatever. And, and then, he's like, fuck you, do it. And like, do don't it. worry about her. And she's, you know. Yeah. And let's not call the police because she's just drunk and maybe she'll just end right. up somewhere and learn her lesson. I mean, yeah. I, because I have to say, I've always heard this story and it's basically the story or the way people have always talked about it is like, you know, Robert Wagner killed Natalie Wood and everyone knows it. And it's like, but I yeah. really, I look for that. And maybe it's because I love heart to heart, but I'm looking for that. What <laughs> What is the through line where you could be seeing it in a different way where it's like actually just people making terrible decisions in yeah. a boat, which is, it's easy feel, to go wrong, I think. That makes sense. And I feel like if he had... um killed her the dinghy wouldn't be involved at all he would have just thrown her fucking overboard you know what i mean like how does the dinghy come into play yeah did he put her on it and be like fuck you you need to chill out not thinking she would die but let me read you more because there's other little clues that are weird okay 
So the news of Natalie Wood's death spreads across the globe. People fucking lo- like this is, you know, one of the biggest starts, like an Angelina Jolie type of thing that if she died in this manner with Brad Pitt on board, like that's the equivalent of it. Sure. It's just insane. Right. And da- Dennis Davern, the captain later says that uh, that Wagner immediately comes up with a story of the night's events and tells him and Christopher Watkins to stick to this story. He says he regrets going along with it at the time, but he at the time he and for a, a while longer this is the story he sticks to uh, they they all tell the detective that they thought Natalie took the dinghy to shore even though Dennis Daver knew that Natalie was deathly afraid of water and didn't know how to pilot the small rubber boat herself there's no mention of the fight the men say that the shattered wine bottle is from the waves and um, soon after the discovery of the body RJ and Christopher Walken leave the island in a helicopter and leave Davern to identify the body on <gasps> Catalina. Oh, no. Yeah. I know, right? I yeah. But I wonder if some kind of lawyer didn't step in and start telling everybody yes. what to do behind the scenes. Totally. Or someone was like, you don't want to see her the way she is. Have some, like, it does make sense to have someone, you know, a step outside of her immediate loved ones yes. identify a body. Uh, also, this is basically c- circling back to like the casting couch thing and the, the the thing I was talking about earlier, where this is the kind of thing. And I think it surprises people, but it's like, you know, these are two, these are three major stars. So the financial impact on the studios that they work for or yeah. the TV shows or whatever, there are people, it's just like Michael Clayton, the fixer. You know what I mean? There are people who, yeah. when you're rich enough, come in and take care of things for you in a way that high powered that yeah. no one gets in re- in real life and n- totally. no one would ever get that kind of help no one would ever and it is it's it's like borderline it's like the mafia you know what i mean where it's just like yeah, they're protecting totally. their investment they're protecting this these parts of the studio it's just like oh yeah i can Im- i can absolutely imagine there's somebody that no one's ever known the name of that that you know sailed out on a boat and was like yeah. you do this you go here you shut your mouth and it's easy to say it was robert wagner because he's you know he's the husband and it's the husband always did it right. but actually right. it, i would i would it's easy to imagine for me to imagine some kind of like studio head that was like sending a guy yeah. out and basically fi- get, getting a fixer to deal with it. And Robert Wagner has been an actor since he was young. He's used to being te- told what to do by these higher power. People. Oh, yeah. So the autopsy shows that Wood actually has multiple bruises on her arms and an abrasion on her left cheek. And the coroner explains her bruises as, quote, superficial and, quote, probably sustained at the time of drowning. And the coroner concludes that Natalie had fallen into the water while trying to board the dinghy. But there are also fingernail scratches found on the dinghy's side as if she was um, trying to hoist herself up from the water. <sighs> so maybe she was trying to be like, fuck you, I'm out of here. And the dinghy got, you know, untied and she floated along. Who knows? I mean, it just right. sounds kind of far fetched, but. Oh, th- and then I mean, he- except for if they're if they're oh now a cop car just went by. Wait, what? <laughs> a cop car Did just went by in front something? of my house. Yeah, really. George has a knife, and she's in the street. <laughs> um, no, I was just thinking like being so drunk 
being as drunk as they were, um, as you told me they were. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you're like, I'm leaving this yacht and getting on this dinghy. Like, can you imagine yeah. just right now getting onto a dinghy? How scary that would be. Oh, and weird. My God. And if you're all drunk and enraged, I, I don't know, a boating accident. I don't know. It's easy to picture. Yeah, no, if, if you're it, shit faced, it's not. It's not far fetched. No, it's a not. It's not a far fetched thing for someone who is drunk and also, by the way, on um, motion sickness medication and painkillers. Yeah, were found in her system. She had a um, her her what's it called BMI was point one four, which is twice the legal limit. And I'm sure she's a <laughs> tiny. Sorry, what BMI is body no. mass index. <laughs> Thank you. You know what I meant. Yes. <laughs> you know what I meant was her alcohol level yep. was 0.14. So she's probably a teeny tiny person. Yes. Right. That's for and sure. like she's got all of this in her in her uh, system. She's yeah, almost it, twice it, the legal limit. Yeah. I feel like I feel like not hearing a splash is a like no. And I know everyone on the boat lied initially, but like people on different boats nearby would have heard a splash. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, um, yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. Yeah. So the um, after t- a two week investigation, the police rule her death an accident. And eventually, Dennis uh, Deverne leaves California for the East Coast. And he, in the 90s, he starts drunk dialing Lana Wood, Natalie Wood's younger sister, being like, dude, I got to tell you the fucking truth. Uh oh. Like what I told, he, he made me tell that story. And there's all this crazy shit about like, you know, after the fact, he lived with Robert Wagner and like Robert Wagner got him parts on TV and, you know, kind of seems like he was grooming him in a way. Um, oh. And then... Lana starts to believe it and believes, you know, he tells her about the explosive fight they had and Lana becomes one of RJ's harshest critics. And uh, he she accuses him of pushing Natalie into the water. So and um, she's a she's an actress as well. And people accuse her of exploiting Natalie's death for attention. But she says she just wants the truth. And then for years, Robert Wagner tells people he thinks Natalie was trying to retie the dinghy when she slipped. And hit her head and fell in the water. That's like in his biography. That's his or his autobiography. That's his theory is that um, she was tightening the ropes and fell in. Hmm. Um, Wa- Christopher Walken hasn't publicly spoken much on the events. He fucking won't talk about it. But he does appear to believe that it was in an ac- It was an accident. And in November 2011, uh, Dennis Avern, he had finally come forward at that point and publicly announces that he lied to detectives during the original investigation. And he, um, his, yeah, his confession gives the LAPD a reason to open the case. So this is when this all comes out, his whole story about what happened that night. And, and sorry, everyone, what, co- year, what year was it? That when he finally came forward? Yeah. 2011. Oh, shoot. Okay. Yeah. So everyone's like, you're trying to get money for, you know, for your um, to to write a book about it. And from the paparazzi, you're just trying to get money, blah, blah, blah. But either way, the case is reopened. And during a six year investigation, the new detectives on the case review the autopsy and find that Natalie has head wounds that are troubling and may indicate that she was in a violent fight and was pushed or tossed into the water while unconscious. Mm. And according to one detective, she, quote, looks like the victim of an assault. And they do the whole thing. And they talk about the like the way the wounds were, um, you know, delivered is up and not down. And so she didn't fall this way. She fell that way or whatever the fuck. Right. And 
they discover a key witness, a woman named Marilyn, who was in a boat 80 feet away that night. And she says that she and her boyfriend heard a woman screaming for help around 11 p.m. Um, they tried to call the harbor master. It goes unanswered. But there's a party on a boat nearby. So they're like, oh, it just must be partying. Oh, um, wow. I know. And in 2012, the autopsy report is amended to no longer classify Natalie Wood's death as an accident, and her death certificate is changed to drowning and other undetermined factors. So wow. her death certificate is now not accidental drowning anymore. And in 2018, uh, Robert Wagner is officially named a person of interest in the case. They can't name him a suspect, but he's a person of interest. Is that crazy? Yeah. I mean, of course, he's a person of interest. It's, it's there's four people on the boat, like yeah, but they're not naming Christopher Walken as a person of interest. Just Robert no, Wagner. They changed. I think the fact that they changed um, her death from accidental drowning, which means no one is a person of interest, mm. to drowning and other undetermined factors, meaning there has to be, you know, there should be a person of interest if this is an accident, right? And it's Christopher Walken isn't involved. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. Also, what a terrible situation for him. Like, yeah. what if he, I mean, he really did like was in love with her or had a huge crush on her was like, right, he was right. there because he was in love with her and thought maybe I'm going to win her over from her husband or whatever yeah. idea. And then he's there. Oh well, my he God. was married at the time too, but it's also oh. like maybe, maybe, they were just friends and he definitely heard them fighting that night. But what he wants is to be a huge fucking actor. He wants to be an actor so he can never speak of this again. Right. You know, right. This will tarnish his entire reputation. Right. Natalie Wood's death remains one of Hollywood's biggest mysteries. No one knows how she got into the water. Um, police say they're not going to close the case and that the case is now undeniably a quote, suspicious death. Wow. Um, and then uh, her daughter, Natasha Gregson Wagner, who we've talked about on the podcast before, mm -hmm. and she was partially raised by her stepfather, who was RJ. She believes fully that her mother's drowning was an accident. And she says the little details don't really matter to her. Quote, the result is the same. She died and she left when I was 11 and my sister was seven and oh. we needed her. Oh, I know. no. Oh, and no. she said she was she was hilarious. She was always so funny she would walk into our house and everything would be better if she walked into a room and it was sepia it suddenly became bright colors <sighs> and natalie would be would be 82 years old and a grandmother if she were still alive today <sighs> and that is a mysterious death of natalie wood heartbreaking it's heartbreaking. so sad this woman this poor woman who just wanted some kind of normalcy in her life, which there's a podcast called Fatal Voyage. And the first season is about the mysterious death of Natalie Wood. And so they it, her sister talks in it. It goes really deep. Um, and there's a lot of information there. So check that oh, out if you want to know more. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah, because yeah. I would love to know the detail. I mean, to really hear about what the details of the autopsy were and like the because there's it is so fascinating when um, coroners can go over stuff and and basically be like the way this wound, the direction of this right. indicates this, like when yeah. that kind of stuff gets like sussed out and uh, in cor by coroners, I always find that to be the most fascinating because it is, yeah, it really does tell so much more. And yeah, 
Who knows? I mean, and what if Robert Wagner's, you know, theory is true that he was saying that um, the dinghy kept banging against the side of the boat. And so a couple, you know, a couple times in the past, he's had to go out and tighten it because she couldn't sleep with the banging noise. Yeah. So what if that night after they got in a fight and he went back up to drink with Dennis, she went down to try and tighten it, which under, which makes sense that she had no shoes on and just her coat and she fell in. Yeah, you know? and she it's was like, like, oh, like in a bad mood because of all the fighting and all the drinking and all yeah. that. She's still and a little yeah. drunk, and she was like, "Fuck everybody!" And I'm just going to go fix yeah. this. I mean, that right. that's actually incredibly tragic. Like, there's so many elements of tragedy to this, but the idea that this yeah. whole time everybody thinks he killed her when actually it was just a terrible accident, and, and it makes me think as well of. Like those times, so many parties I've been to where people get, Ugh. my friends get so drunk and then they're like, I drive home and you fight with them for hours to get the keys yeah. out of their hand. And there's so many times where you just go, fine, drive yourself home, you asshole. Like I used to have, my friend used to get someone <laughs> who I loved, but he gets so drunk. And finally, my ex would go out and just de, he would just un, basically make it so his car wouldn't run. So he's like, here, take the keys. And he would like go take off the whatever caps or the, you know what I mean? Unplug sure. the battery or whatever, some kind of thing that he knew how to do because he knew, knows cars. Yeah. And then he just like, he would just go pass out in his car. But it's like, uh. there is that point. When people are drunk and you're in a fight and everything is bad, you know what I mean? Where you just go, fine, like, get away from me. Oh, yeah. I've gotten in a fight with a boyfriend at a bar and been like, I'm walking home. And oh, then, yeah. like, walked home in the middle of fucking the lower hate in San Francisco. Oof. Oof. And, like, and then I've gone into dive bars and be like, fuck him. I'm going to go have a drink by myself in this diet. You know, it's just yep. unsafe fucking things because you're not thinking clearly. Yeah. And as the Your person that's like, are gone. it's like he was just as drunk, sounds like, you know, from all those yeah. stories. It's like he's, yeah. you know, uh, it's uh, so or tragic. He, or he threw her in the fucking water, but who knows? I mean, it's interesting since we've all heard that theory. It's very interesting to hear kind of the details. I, I mean, I, yeah. I never knew any of that other stuff. It's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Great job. Thank you. You're welcome. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Goodbye. 
There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Okay, well, it's my turn. And so this week I'm going to do one. I don't know if you've heard of this, the boxcar killer. No, no. Give it to me. This is a hobo-based true crime story. Okay. Yeah. And uh, is this the one that you read the book about, where he was going from city to city? No. That's the axe murder. That's the man on the train. The right. best story. And that, yes. If you haven't read the man on a train and you're looking for quarantine entertainment, I know I've recommended it a hundred times, but it is a I still beautifully written it. book. You haven't? I swear you'll love it. No. I'm going to I'm going to do it. Hold I'm up. smelling my clothes. <laughs> it's written by Bill James and Rachel McCarthy James, who I believe listens to this show. <gasps> yeah, because when I recommended it and she said thank you, but maybe someone just told her. Anyway, amazing. I'm going to tell myself that she listens anyway. Yeah, that that book's amazing. No, this is a little bit different. Okay. It's really crazy. Okay, so it was suggested by Kim B. Um she wrote into the uh to our Gmail. So thank you Kim B for suggesting this story. Our Sources are the Spokane Spokesman Review, the East Bay Times, The Guardian, and always my one true love, Murderpedia. Okay, and we're just going to talk about this really quick because this came up once before long ago. The term hobo is not a problematic term. Right. The, her- the right. term hobo is not a reason for you to get upset. The term hobo comes from a time after the Civil War when a lot of men who are out of work and looking for uh, basically migrant farming jobs, looking to go anywhere they so they would jump on the railroad and they would travel all around the country to get farming jobs anywhere that there were farming jobs based on what was growing and being uh, farmed. And they would bring their own hose with them. So the nickname used to be Ho Boy, H-O-E. And then after time, you know, as time passed, it got shortened down to hobo. And that's what hobo, that's what hobos call each other. So if you think it's problematic, you can call your local hobo and bring it up with them. Um, But, (laughs) but there's also a modern term for hobo, which is train riders. So we can also use that terminology as well. But uh, we need to take the stigma off hobo because there's no, there's not a problem with it. As far as hobos are concerned, 
so here's it starts in 1995 in December of 1995 39 year old a uh, train rider we'll call him William Pettit Jr. Get, he finds himself a spot to sleep in the boxcar on the train that he is riding illegally of course that's how all of it, all of all of this is um, hobos and train riders, people that jump onto moving trains and hitch rides. It's illegal. There are security guards that they're actually called by hobos and train riders. They're called bulls. And security guards hmm. often look for them to kick them off. Um, they're not supposed to be doing it. It's very unsafe to do anyway. And then on hmm. top of that, there's a lot of danger um, with the other people that, that are on the train. So William Pettit Jr. found a boxcar. He found a spot to sleep. The train was passing through northwest oregon he's in his sleeping bag he covers his head with an old baseball hat and he snuggles in it's really cold he falls asleep and sometime during the night another uh, train rider sneaks into that car and beats pettit jr to mm-hmm. death with a blunt object oh my god the murderer then takes all of pettit's belongings including the clothes he's wearing and leaves behind his nude body in the bloodied sleeping bag so when the train oh my god yeah so when the train gets to the station in millersburg oregon one of the railroad security guards the bull who's working the train yard that night he does the routine check of all the boxcars on the the train and he finds William Pettit Jr.'s body and calls the police. So when the autopsy is conducted, um, it's deduced that Pettit was killed as the train passed through Salem, Oregon, which is roughly 20 miles north of where the train stopped. And so Salem was where the authorities were um, contacted. So Diana Moffat is the prosecutor at the time in Salem, Oregon, and the case, she gets the case. She knows the odds of solving a murder that had took place on a moving train train and the murder of a transient, um, the, yeah. the odds of being able to track that down and solve that case are very low. And so she didn't have a lot of hope. And But then just two days later, she learns that the body of train rider Michael Kleitz has been found bludgeoned to death in a boxcar in a Portland rail yard. And the scene is very similar to William Pettit Jr.'s murder. He'd been bludgeoned violently about the head and his all his stuff mm. had been stolen. So Diana Moffat calls Portland because obviously uh, the Portland's the big city in Oregon and she wants someone that's actually going to investigate this case and someone who knows what they're doing. So she calls Detective Mike Quackenbush to help with the investigation. Um, I'm going to have to say his name a bunch of times. It's one of those unfortunate. Things. It's simply. Yeah, it's an unfortunate name. It's goofy. But oops, yeah, but so is Kilgariff. Um, we so, respect we respect you. We respect the job. So as Detective Mike Quackenbush begins to dig into these murders, he discovers that these two murders are not isolated incidents. In fact, there are hundreds of transient murders on trains, and it's assumed that they just somehow got into violent fights with each other and and wound up dead. Right. But all of these cases are neglected by the police because. of of the uh, there in because of the victim's quote unquote high risk transient lifestyle and the detective sees in you know in these cases that he starts to find this secret police code written on many of them NHI which stands for hmm. no humans involved which is what they found the LAPD wrote on the a lot of the grim sleepers victims when they oh. when the police decide <gasps> that um, if you if you have a high risk lifestyle if you're a sex worker 
Um, <sighs> especially if you're a person of color or you're a transient, that's the nickname and it's disgusting. So that's awful. Hey, everybody. How about you protect and serve? And um, know that absolutely there's humans involved if it's a murder case anyway. Mm-hmm. So Mike Quackenbush sees this and he's like, you can't just kill people just because they're transients. This is unacceptable. And he's like digging in. So he mm-hmm. learns all he can about hobos and train rider life. He checks out all the switching yards and he interviews the bulls, the railway workers and the writers themselves to get a feel for the culture and who the big players are in the community. But among the most important pieces of information that he discovers is that there's a well-known gang that rides the rails and they're called the FTRA. So the FTRA stands for Freight Train Riders of America, although there are those who would argue it originally stood for fuck the Reagan administration. <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> and so um, my mom is a uh, posthumously <laughs> belongs to that uh, train riders association. <laughs> Pat Kilgariff, vice Pat, president. Love it. The FTRA was founded in the early 80s by a bunch of Vietnam veterans who'd come back from the war, found they couldn't fit back into quote unquote normal society and they wanted to live their own way uh, by riding the rails, fending for themselves and traveling all across America. And I, I watched this documentary and it was called Mugshot. It was it was it, like a docu-series that I'd never heard of mm-hmm. before. It might have been Canadian because it's like just familiar enough to be like, what's this yeah i would have known this but um right it was really good and they had so much footage of people just standing on train cars as it as they go through like this most the beautiful scenery like i could really see the appeal of of, yeah. do, of doing this and i mean i'm fascinated by transient lifestyle and yeah. how you cope and how you not cope but like how you thrive and how you survive and how you how that you know yeah why that life is so appealing to certain people it's fascinating it really is and like what it actually takes you know there's all kinds of rules you can't just get on any old train car yeah you know there's it's obviously very territorial there's lots of things to look out for like it's it's fascinating you know there's a yeah now i can't remember if it was i think it was season two yeah it was season two of baskets and uh Yes. Oh my God. I was yeah. ju- I was just thinking about that and I couldn't remember what it was from, but it's yeah. from fucking Baskets. Chip Baskets yes. starts season two by hopping the rails yes. and trying to become a train rider, a hobo. And oh my God. Essentially ends up in jail. It's, yeah, it was my favorite. Um, That's a great uh, season. Great show. Watch Basket. Uh, hey, you can binge Baskets. There's four seasons. I find it to be very quality writing. It's- It's a gorgeous show. (laughs) Okay, so Aaron Gilgareth. So, according to a a longtime hobo named Jerry the Frog Fortin, (laughs) and there's so many amazing, amazing names of uh, these hobos who who speak in this in the mugshot, and they speak, Mm -hmm. they play songs. You know, it's a whole culture. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, um, it almost reminds me a little like prison culture, where it's like. Here's what you have to do to get by. Yes, totally. And everyone knows what to do, you know. And the driving force in this 
culture is like the freedom. It's like, it's like, you don't yeah. need to, like, you can do without having money. How can you get by and how can you all yeah. stick together and help each other? Um, how do you live off the grid? Yeah, exactly. So Jerry the Frog Fortin, who was named 1997 National Hobo Association's King of the Hobos. I mean, he's, <laughs> this guy's legit. <laughs> High up. He's high up. He's up there. He says that the vets who formed the FTRA were just, quote, a bunch of guys who wanted to ride together. Um, now other people say, and obviously Jerry clearly would, is an expert and knows, but there are other people who, who say that it was always a violent gang. And some say it was always a violent gang of white supremacists who mm. banded together to steal from other hobos. Either way, it's now a network of criminals known for assaulting and even murdering their fellow drifters. So in many Shit. cases, they assume they will attack someone, kill them, assume their identity and then commit, you know, Fraud, like welfare fraud, food stealing, you know, getting food stamps yeah. under other people's names, other forms of theft. So, and the thing is, because it, they're living a transient lifestyle, they can just commit a crime, board a train, they're out of town, there's no record of the travel, there's no actual yeah. identification. There, it's very difficult to track. Okay, Definitely. so. Um, as Detective Quackenbush questions the train riders, he starts hearing about a very dangerous hobo who goes by the name of Sidetrack. And um, he meets a hobo. <laughs> He's actually able to meet a hobo who's able to describe what Sidetrack looks like. And that hobo's name, if you will believe me, is Chooch Johnson. <laughs> Amen. Chooch. Chooch. Chooch Johnson. The Chooch. Okay, so Quackenbush... Basically, so the way he he gets into this investigation is he finds out the train that Michael Kleit's body was found on, and then he and then he follows the route of that train, and he just visits every train, every rail yard, and that that train stopped at, and all the encampments that surround those trail yards, and basically he traveled all across the Pacific Northwest, showing Shit. these victims' photos to anybody who would talk to them would talk to him and who might know them. So finally, on his way back, he's in Eugene, Oregon. He finds a rail rider who says he saw Kleitz wander off in search for meth with another man who went by the name Sidetrack. So mm -mm. while he's investigating this and on this kind of scavenger hunt all, all across the Pacific Northwest following these train tracks, he gets calls from three different police officers, one in Utah, one in Kansas, another one in Montana. They're all working on their own transient murder cases, which took place in the past eight months involving the victim being bludgeoned to death. So Holy shit. Yeah. So, so we have like a, a transient serial killer. Pretty ex much. Exactly. And in a way that if it wasn't, you know, like they're one offs in these other cities. Right. But right, just by right. chance in Oregon, there were two in a row. So they were like, oh, this isn't yeah. just there's this isn't just like train rider justice or whatever. It's like something's right. actually or going an argument on. that, you know, yeah, it can't be rationalized. So yeah. Quackenbush asks those policemen, have they heard of a man named Sidetrack? They have not, but they have all heard of someone named Robert Silvera. So now Quackenbush believes he's look he's possibly looking for two people, Sidetrack and then this guy Robert Silvera. So he chases both of them for another year before he finally gets this really crucial break. It's an afternoon of Saturday March 2nd, 1996, and he gets a phone call from a security guard, a train yard security guard, a bull in Roseville, California, that 
Bull tells the detective he was running a routine check in the Roseville train yard and came across a man with an outstanding warrant for a probation violation. And this man is 37-year-old Robert Silvera. So Quackenbush travels down to the Placer City Jail in Roseville to meet Silvera face-to-face. But he's nothing like the violent, intimidating gang member that Quackenbush has, that people have been describing to him. Instead, this man's calm, polite, soft-spoken. But when Quackenbush asks Silvera if he goes by any other names when he rides the rails, Silvera says, yeah, they call me Sidetrack. So now he knows the two Mm. are actually one man. And then Silvera starts spilling it. Okay, so he openly admits that he is a member of the FTRA and that he's a heroin addict who stole from other hobos to get drug money, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, But then he immediately confesses to the murders of William Pettit Jr. and Michael Kleitz. And yeah, just immediately says it. And as he does, he seems relieved. And he tells Quackenbush that he just wants to get it all off his chest and that he's, quote, Hmm. glad he got caught because he would have continued to kill. And then he Hmm. immediately confesses to six more killings. What the? I wonder if he like wanted to be in prison, like one of those guys who just like. Like, wants to be in prison. I mean, it seems to me because he clearly was a very bad heroin addict. And I bet you he was so strung out and, like, the way he was living was so crazy. I mean, you know, it it sounds like... It sounds like he wasn't a psychopath or a sociopath. Like he was doing, yeah. he, in his mind, he was justifying what he's doing to like get mm. by, but it really was yeah. affecting him. And the drugs weren't like making all that hideous, you know, guilt go away. Um, yeah. that's all, that's completely editorializing on my part. Conjecture, uh, your honor. Allegedly. So as Silvera Silvera spills his guts, he mentions to the police that he killed someone in Albany, California, which is in the East Bay. This prompts the Mm. police to contact another officer uh, who's named William Palmini, um, who's in Albany. And he'd been investigating the murder of a homeless Vietnam vet, 15-year-old James McLean. And that had taken place near train tracks in Albany in 1995. So... Mm. um, the timeline that Silvera gives Palmini when Palmini interviews him matches up to this murder of James McLean. And as Palmini continues to talk to Silvera and, and like get it, get stuff out of him, the soft spoken man admits that in the last 14 years, he's killed dozens of people across <gasps> 28 states. Oh my God. Yeah. So. Robert Silvera is indicted for the murders of William Pettit Jr. and Michael Kleitz in March 1996 in Salem, Oregon. And in January of 1998, he pleads guilty to both murders, avoiding trial and potential the potential for receiving the death penalty. He's given two life sentences without the possibility of parole. And then in February of 1998, Silvera is extradited to Kansas, where he pleads guilty to a third murder, that of rail writer Charles Randall Boyd. And in Kansas, he gets a 25-year your sentence. And then in mm. May of 1998, he's extradited to Florida, where he pleads guilty to the murder of rail writer Willie Clark. Silvera continues to serve his life sentences in Oregon, where he will remain for the rest of his life. Mm. Yeah. And so basically they've they've gotten him on the murders that they investigated and that they that there were cops that were paying attention to and that were chasing down. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazing. But there's tons more that just 
no one would ever like would have ever known about yeah. if he didn't say it yeah. himself. And that detective, Detective William Palmini from from Albany, he actually partnered up with a writer named Tanya Chalupa, and they wrote a book called Murder on the Rails. Um, mm. And it's all about the 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 like details about the FTRA and the other crimes that Silvera committed during all of his years uh, riding the rails as a hobo all across America. And that wow is the story of the boxcar killer. Fuck, dude. Yeah, isn't that nuts? That's, so, that's such a world that like you can't even fathom from your home. You know, you're sitting in your home, and that this is what life is, and. It's just unfathomable. And then someone going around on top of all of it, fucking killing people. And, and, and they wouldn't have known if he hadn't confessed, you know? Right. Like, it would have all been unsolved if he hadn't confessed. Right. Well, and, it, you know, I think that it's the it's the idea of, like, when you think about, like, hobos, it's so positive and up and like, yeah. oh, they like to do that. They're happy to be where they are, which mm -hmm. is what is a part of it, I think, is like it's the choice to be away from normal society and being like, I'm I'm going away from that and doing this. But yeah, that's this is the this is the dark side of that. This is the, yeah. you know, when you when you go off the grid you 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 don't it's not the you know you don't belong to this fraternity of other you know right there's a whole faction of people off the grid who are doing so who don't want to follow any of society's rules that and, are put in place to keep you safe and being strung out on drugs makes you do things you yeah. ordinarily would never do and this is almost like yeah. the most extreme version of that where it's like you just have to get that next fix so you'll just steal whatever from whoever and you kind of mm -hmm. rationalize it Awful. Crazy. Awful. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. Let's do some fucking arrays. I think we all need them right now, right? Yeah. Send us your fucking arrays of people or you doing positive things in the world. It's really helpful. All right. You want to start? Sure. Um, let's see. First one here is from 2AM Talker. And they said, my fucking hooray is that I just got my first ever article accepted by a national newspaper here in New Zealand. I'm a supermarket worker and I wrote the article about the effect of bulk and panic buying as seen through the eyes of a checkout operator. Oh, my God. Amazing. That is the cool. That's so amazing. Uh, you know what? That's I a mean, really important point. Like, this is a very yeah. stressful time and this is a very crazy time. But it's also something that no one's ever gone through before. If you even have the slightest interest in writing, you should absolutely yes. be keeping a journal, be keeping a diary, write every single day, write all your feelings, write what happens, what you see. It's you should absolutely be doing it. I feel like there's so many people that I say to them, I want to fucking hear you. I want to read your memoir. It's those kinds of people where you're like, tell me everything. What is your yeah. fucking life like? Yes. It's, that's incredible. But especially people who are working yeah. in grocery stores, they are really... Yeah. My friend Jason, hi Jason, who listens to all everything we do. Um, hi Jason. He is on the front lines. He works in a grocery store in Portland. And he incredible. is... He is, he's just like, I, I've never, he's like, I just wanted to work in a grocery store. I did never thought I was going to be like a, a emergency personnel. And he's like, and, yeah. but it's actually fine because people are, he's like, first of all, if you are old or know people who are old, almost every grocery store has Instacart yes. and you should get old people to learn how to use Instacart and have their groceries delivered. Almost every grocery Jim. store has that. Jim and Marty. Jim, god damn it. Stay home and Jim let and them Marty. deliver it to you. God damn it. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Let me, I have a similar one. This is from Ali Mac 30 um, from Instagram. My fucking hooray is my dad. He's not in healthcare, but works as in a grocery store. And to be honest, is no spring chicken, <laughs> but he's been taking every opportunity he has to work and restock shelves as fast as possible for those that need supplies during the shutdowns. Our healthcare workers definitely deserve a ton of appreciation and applause, but so do those who are working in essential areas to keep people cared for during the pandemic. That's exactly right. Yeah. I walked into the grocery store this morning. Is a I hadn't been for two weeks and I needed to get some stuff. And right as I walked in, somebody got on the loudspeaker and was like, we just like to thank all of our hardworking employees. And like the manager or whatever made a little speech and then everybody Uh stopped and clapped in the store. And I went, I went, just because I got into it. And the lady behind the deli counter started laughing so hard. I was just like, this is all (laughs) this is what people need. People need to understand that other people get what they're sacrificing we need to i need to cheer for the people on the front lines the healthcare, the fucking doctors the nurses the you know administration and we need we need to celebrate them right now because it's so terrifying hi uh hey y'all today day 10 of self-isolation quarantine i got a phone call that i was accepted into medical school i was literally laying in bed when i got it and it's the best call i've ever received in my life sorry family this was my second (laughs) round applying the fourth school i had interviewed at initially my fourth wait list and finally my first acceptance i've wanted to be a doctor Uh since i was 12 years old and it's finally happening for me hope y'all are having a good day dorothy Congratulations, Aww. Dorothy. Hurry up. Dorothy, congratulations. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> this is from uh, Nikki Does Stuff. My fucking hooray. I work in an animal shelter and pre-quarantine and during, if we're being honest, we were placing animals into foster homes. We now officially have to close our doors to the public for now, but we managed to get over 325 out of our shelter this past week. Most of those (gasps) having been in the past three days. SSDGM and rescue animals. (gasps) Okay. Wow. And it's true, you guys. They're closing shelters, but these animals are still coming in. This isn't stopping. If you've ever thought about adopting a cat, a kitten or dogs or whatever the fuck, now is an amazing time to do it. Even if she's going to foster during the quarantine, it's badly needed right now. Yes, for sure. Um, oh, this is good. Uh this starts huge fucking hooray. I'm a FedEx driver and with businesses closing, we are running out of places to wash our hands and use the toilet. Residents in my area have been renting portable toilets for us drivers because they know our predicament and how insanely busy we are currently. P.S. I've only peed my pants once in the last three years. And that's from Alex. That's incredible. People are getting together to rent porta potties for for drivers. We have a chance right now to be humanitarians. Yes, that's and right. Are we going to take? Are we going to take it, or are we going to be selfish pieces of shit who buy all the bread and Purell? And like, you can decide which way you want to be. Watch your life like it's a movie and figure out what you want this this yeah. part to look like because you absolutely are in charge of it. And I tell you what, you get out there and you give of yourself and you give for other people and amazing things comes back to you. Wait, I'm not drunk, am I? 
there's also a lesson to be learned about being kind to yourself right now and also caretaking. And you don't, you know, I'm in the mood of like, what do I, I have to accomplish something during this or else I'm a loser. And it's like, you don't have to just take care of yourself. And this one is about that. Is it my turn? Yep. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is from Mergan in Merganini. This is from Merganini. My fucking ray is that I'm super lactose intolerant and typically avoid dairy altogether. But now that I'm not going anywhere and won't be around people for the next few weeks, I'm living my best lactose filled <laughs> life. God, I miss cheese. <laughs> So take care of yourself, too. You can't help other people if you're a fucking mess. You know what I mean? Yes. that's You can help people when you've got your shit together. Right. You have to put your own uh, oxygen mask on first. And right. for right. me, for me today, you know, that what that involved cracking open one of those tubes of Grand's biscuits and baking up biscuits. And then I just oh. ate a biscuit with some jelly on it and drank tea. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and do you know how I got, I got the idea? Because. April Richardson came to visit and when she lives in London now, uh, she lives in England now. And when she f- yeah. went to fly back, she flew back with like 12 tubes of, of biscuits because they don't have them over there. And oh I texted her. God. I texted her a picture of the b- baked biscuits. I'm like, this is your fault. And I'm like, yeah. why am I eating this? And she's like, every day is Thanksgiving during a pandemic. <laughs> it's true. It's true. All it's bets true. are off. All bets are off. It's- it's fucking, I mean, put a, put a, drink a shake every now and then, a green shake, but otherwise. Yeah. Uh, take your vitamins. Christ. Take your take vitamins. Take your vitamins. Take especially your vitamins. vitamin D. Oh, yeah. Vitamin D. I was D. thinking about how I'm going to come out of this pandemic with incredible skin because I'm yes. not going in the sun, but I'm going to be severely <laughs> depressed because I'm not getting enough sun. Yeah. You got to get that vitamin D. You can take it in pill form. Yeah, totally. Echinacea. Take all your things that that build up immunity, please. Vitamin B, take some turmeric. And you know, it's all important. How about some fish oil? Okay. Fish <laughs> just, oil. What if we just start naming <laughs> vitamins back and forth if for the next full hour? Why don't why don't you like our podcast? What's the problem with it? Let's start a podcast where we just name vitamins. <laughs> okay, well I'll go ahead and say vitamin A. <laughs> Hello, pets and friends. As many of you know, there's a serious mask shortage in healthcare right now. In fact, I am allowed one mask per day that I wear the entire shift. I'm getting bruises and scarves from where, from wearing, wear masking that I don't, that don't fit and just spending 16 hours in them. So that's, I I don't know if you've seen that, but there's pictures of Italian doctors and they have really bad bruising and scars in a mask shape and the goggle shape because they don't fit, but they just have to put them on their face anyway. Okay. So this is my job and I'm happy to do it. And I love caring for people. Most of the people I'm caring for aren't even here for Corona, just sick. Just as I was getting desperate enough to think about buying a pack on eBay of the properly fitting masks, my my parents' church ended up finding 16,000 masks on on pallets like off a truck from a grocery store that they were um, they were buying trying to get non-perishables to people without jobs. But they found 16,000 masks and selected my hospital to be one of the receivers. So it might not be the biggest fucking hooray. But you know what? Fucking hooray. Healthcare workers need light, encouragement and community. And this made me sob uncontrollably. We found and donated 16,000 masks. Thanks for all you do. Stay sexy and wash your hands. Monica. Oh, my God. Yeah. People are people are being fucking heroic right now. Yeah. They're doing they're doing lots of good. Lots of good. Yeah. 
I'm so impressed and moved and touched. And this is incredible. It's and beautiful. It's, this is unprecedented at the time. We're at. Can I close it up now? Yeah. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is unprecedented. Time. It's an unprecedented time. It's a time we're going to tell our grandchildren about if they'll listen to us. And uh, yeah. Yeah. What do you think? It's great. I mean, it's yeah, we just under just stay in reality, stay in the here and now and know that Everybody is scared. We're all together in distress and fear and uh, unknowing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the thing that's going to get us through it is that we're all together. Yeah. And there's people out there buying porta potties for tr- for truck drivers because they understand and care. There's people who right. really care, and there's <clears throat> more people who care than people who need to hoard shit because they're not working their stuff out correctly. So totally. remember that this is, and this is a time. This isn't a time to ignore your depression or to ignore your issues continue to talk on the phone with your therapist you can still find one right now if you need to there's therapists this isn't a time to pause that no um not at all i'm sure a lot of people who have eating disorders are going through some shit right now too it's not a time to ignore that so you know keep working on that be kind to yourself that's that's the whole idea is like Look, this the one thing it's also helping with is perspective, because all the things that we thought used to matter, they really don't. What matters now is staying alive, staying healthy and listening to doctors and experts, people who know what they're talking about and treating treating this thing like the scary thing that it is and not Mm -hmm. pretending um, that it's not. It's not going to help anybody. Mm -hmm. Keep other people healthy by staying home. A hundred percent. And we'll be here for you every every week. All right. Well, then stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Elvis, do you want a cookie?